Thanks, Jordan. Let's go ahead and turn our Bibles to James chapter 3. This morning we're going to continue in uh, the book of James as we walk through this and see what God has for us in the book of James. We've been there um, all summer and looking at this book that is, we believe, by the brother of Jesus who wants to give us this encouragement to live out our faith, to not just say we believe, to not just um, commit to a few doctrinal things, to not just agree to a few doctrinal things, but to live out our faith in such a way that the world takes notice in our obedience. That it's not just about the things we believe in our heads, but it's about how we live out our lives. And so James is, is very passionate about connecting faith and action about making sure that our faith is producing fruit, is producing things that show, that prove, that demonstrate that our ultimate trust is in God, that He is the one who is helping us. He is the one who is guiding us. He is the one who is changing us. And so we talked about lots of different things and lots of different ways that we've been able to, 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 to step out and to show our faith and to show how it works. We talked about how faith works itself out in our suffering and in our temptations, that we can actually have joy in the midst of our suffering, that we can actually say no to our temptations because of our faith. We talked about how that we treat one another and not treating each other judgmentally or with partiality, but by faith, trusting that God provides for all of us. Last week, we looked at the way that we speak and that the way that we talk and the way that we use our tongue demonstrates our faith and the danger that lies in our tongue, the, the, the potential for destruction that lies in our tongue, and that faith changes that, and faith changes how we talk to one another and view all of those things. And this morning, we're going to look at wisdom. How does wisdom play itself out in our lives? And what I love and kind of hate about James in this passage is that James goes at wisdom in a way that seems counterintuitive. When we read through this passage of James, nowhere does he talk about the amount of knowledge that you have. Nowhere does he talk about the the number of facts that you are able to talk about and reproduce. Nowhere does he talk about those things. In James, in this passage, it is entirely character-based. It is entirely how you treat others, how you respond to others, how you live out your faith that ties in with wisdom. Let me read that for us this morning. We're in James chapter 3, starting in verse 13. If you don't have a Bible, there's some in the back. Take them with you. They're there for you to take. James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. James writes this. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This morning, I want to kind of play out for you what I believe to be real wisdom. 
wisdom from above and wisdom from below. And that James is kind of putting, juxtapositioning these two things against each other and comparing and and contrasting where these two wisdoms come from. That there is a wisdom that comes from the earth. There's a wisdom that comes um, from unspiritual things. And James shows us the characteristics of that kind of wisdom and the results of that kind of wisdom. James also is going to show us a wisdom that comes from above, a wisdom that comes from God, the characteristics that go with that kind of wisdom and the results that come from that kind of wisdom. What James is trying to communicate to us in James 3 is that real wisdom shows itself in our conduct, how we act, how we talk, how we respond, how we listen. Real wisdom is not merely theoretical— or even intellectual, real wisdom is practical. Ultimately, I think this is the key thing for this morning, ultimately actions reveal your wisdom, not your answers. And that goes counterintuitive to many of us, that we believe and we assess others as wise or all-knowing based on their answers and the way that they answer things and how they answer things and the knowledge that they have, the experience that they have, we label them as wise, but James does not do that. James looks at the actions of those who believe and follow God and said those who act a certain way, those who are living their lives in a certain way, those are those who are wise. Those are the people who have stepped out and trusted in God and receiving wisdom from above. We see at the beginning of this passage, James asked this really important question, and this is the question I want us to walk away with and wrestle with this morning at the beginning in verse 13. He simply asks the question, who is wise and understanding among you? And this is the question I want us to wrestle with. This is us as we leave here today and to say about ourselves and about those in our congregation, who is wise and understanding among us? Am I one of those? Are you one of those? Are you one of those that people would watch your life and look at how you respond and how you treat others and label you as wise and understanding? He answers the question at the end of verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Here is the answer to that question. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So James proposes a question, who is wise and understanding? And then answers that question in saying the one who has good conduct and has a meekness in their wisdom. And so let's unpack that this morning. What James wants us to understand about wisdom this morning, that wisdom is never used to overpower or destroy. It is never used to condemn or destroy or to simply be right for the sake of right. Wisdom is used to bring light and to hope, to bring hope and to point to something greater in this life. Wisdom ultimately is used to show that it's not from us, but from God. It's ultimately to show that my life is being changed the way that I think, the way that I act, the way that I treat others by the wisdom that comes from God. I want to share with us just three things this morning from James chapter 3. First, I'm going to look at the source of wisdom, where it comes from, either from earth or from above. I want to look at the evidence of wisdom. Again, James unpacks that for us and helps us to see what it looks like for someone who is wise um, from both above and below. And then I want to look at the results of wisdom. Where does it come from or what, where is it leading towards? Those who are following God and trusting in Him and growing in godly wisdom, what is the promised result of that? And those who are trusting in earthly wisdom, what is the promised result of that? So let's look this morning first at the source of wisdom. Basically two sources, earth and above. 
below and above. If you want to just draw on the back of your sheet kind of this chart of just left and right, we're going to look at kind of on the left side, look at earthly things, where that comes from. On the right side, look at heavenly things. So let's look at our source. Look in verse 15 with me. The source of wisdom, he talks about, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. We'll open up in just a little bit and talk about what this is in this particular verse. He lays out some characteristics of what that looks like. But James clearly says here that there's two kinds of wisdom. There's no gray. There's no middle ground. There is black and white. There is earthly. There is godly. There is from the earth and there is heavenly. And first he says that there is some wisdom that is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Again, what I like about James is he doesn't mince words. Last week he talked very clearly about the tongue and the destructive power of the tongue and the control that the tongue has from us and that the tongue often, when we speak out of control, that it comes, if you remember from last week, it comes from the fires of hell, that this is where the destructive nature of the tongue comes from. And so James is very clear here that there is a wisdom that comes from the earth that is unspiritual, that is ultimately demonic. Now, again, that kind of throws us in our face, right? We kind of want to, again, as we talked about last week, that we want to place this neutrality on our words. We want to place this neutrality on our actions, neutrality on the things around us, where it's not really good, it's not really bad, it just kind of is. James doesn't give us that option. He gives us no option whatever. And I've talked to my kids about this before, about the things that we listen to and the things that we watch and the things that are coming into our hearts and our brains, that there is no such thing as neutrality. There is no such thing as just, it's just information. It's just a thing. It's just knowledge. There is no such thing that does not exist. The Bible makes it very clear to us that there's one of two places that wisdom is coming from. It is coming from God or it is coming from Satan. And so we have to make a choice and to see where are we receiving our wisdom? What is that source of wisdom? It is earthly and unspiritual. There is a wisdom that is concerned only with the temporary, only with what one can see, only with what one can touch, only with what is around you and what you can touch and feel and see with your eyes, what is temporary and what is passing away. There's a wisdom that is earthly and concerned only with the here and the now. There's a wisdom that is unspiritual that doesn't recognize that, yes, we are physical beings, but we are also spiritual beings, being remade and being renewed in the image of our maker or being destroyed away from and being deconstructed from the image of our maker. This is the source of wisdom coming from earthly places, coming from unspiritual places. And ultimately, James tells us that this kind of wisdom is demonic. And when we hear the word demonic, I hope that we pause. I hope that we think. I hope that we say, that's a big word for James to use. It's not often that we place that label on things, but it's a label that James intentionally places because James is very concerned about the end result of this kind of wisdom. He's very concerned about the trajectory of those who trust in earthly, unspiritual wisdom that is ultimately being led by Satan. It's a dangerous path. We see in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 19, the Apostle Paul talks about those in the world, those apart from Christ. He says, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame. Why, he says in Philippians 3, 19, because their minds are set on earthly things. James is saying there is a wisdom 
that allows your mind, that puts your mind being set on earthly things. And there is a danger to that. And there's a way to demonstrate that. There's a way to show that. We'll look at that in just a little bit. We see in 1 John chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, John writes this. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, John says, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And John says in the next verse there, and the world is passing away along with all of its desires. And so James is warning us when he tells us the source of wisdom, he's not just trying to be mean or unkind or controversial. He cares deeply about his readers, and he cares about the path that they're on. And he knows that when our minds are set on earthly things, our minds are set on things around us, that those things will ultimately pass away and will ultimately lead to our destruction. They will not bring us hope. They will not bring us life. We need to be careful about the source of our wisdom. So James set the stage. There is one source of wisdom. But he also sets the stage to say there is another source of wisdom. In verse 17, look at it with me. The beginning of verse 17 says, But the wisdom from above, there is a wisdom that comes from God. There is a wisdom that is heavenly and spiritual and godly. And this is the kind of wisdom that James is calling his readers to exemplify with their lives. Not the kind of wisdom that comes from the earth, but the kind of wisdom that comes from above. We've already read this, James chapter 1 and verse 5. James already hit on this at the beginning of his um, letter there. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, where does James say to go? Let him ask who? God. If any of you lack wisdom, go to the source. Go to where true wisdom is found. James does not say, if any of you lacks wisdom, look around you. Go into the world, read more books, get more on the internet, get more encyclopedias, listen to earthly leaders, listen to more podcasts. That's where you will get wisdom. That's not what he says. He says very clearly here, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. God is the source of our wisdom. God is the source of all things. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 and 31, Paul says this, And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. The Apostle Paul tells us, where do we find wisdom? Wisdom is not ultimately an idea. It's not ultimately this theoretical thing that is out there. Wisdom is a person, and wisdom is Jesus. He has become wisdom for us. And so if we are lacking wisdom, if we need direction, if we need God to show us a certain way, we look to Jesus. He is the one who demonstrates wisdom to us. He is the one who gives that to us. And as we look through the characteristics of one who is trusting in uh, heavenly wisdom, you will see Jesus hit every single one of those boxes perfectly. The way that he acted, the way that he treated people. So there is two sources of wisdom. I'm not going to camp out here very long, but James makes it very clear. We have to ask ourselves the question, where is my source of wisdom? Where am I gaining understanding of God? Where am I gaining understanding of how to walk through my circumstances, how to treat my neighbor, how to navigate through this world that we find myself in? Where am I looking for my source of wisdom? And here's how you answer that question. James makes it very clear to us how you know the answer to this question. 
You find the source of wisdom. It will demonstrate itself. Your source of wisdom will demonstrate itself by the evidence of your life. How you treat people, how you respond to hardship, how you use your tongue, how you respond to those who disagree with you, that will bring to light where your ultimate source of wisdom is. Because we could say all day, and I think most of us would say confidently or hopefully or something, that if I asked you, where is your source of wisdom? The right answer in this morning is, well, God is obviously the source of my wisdom. James' response to that would be, prove it. Prove it with your life. Demonstrate with your life the evidence, the fruit of your life that you are trusting in God. You see, the source matters. It matters where we're gaining our wisdom. It matters where we're gaining these things. It matters because it ultimately has an effect on our lives, and it ultimately has a a result in our lives. I'm wearing some shoes this morning I don't normally wear. Many of you have noticed them. They're weird green color shoes. There's a purpose. I'm wearing these shoes this morning. I bought these in Turkey many, many years ago, and I bought them in Turkey because they were Adidas. And you can notice in them, there's Adidas. How many shoe buffs know how many stripes are in Adidas? Three. I've got four on mine. Close, but not quite. I bought them knowing full well these were not true Adidas. Because I liked the way they looked, and they were incredibly cheap. Those are two things that help us to buy things overseas. I like the way it looks, and incredibly cheap. You know how I know that these are not true Adidas shoes? Because in about a week and a half, my sole started to break off of my shoes. Pretty quickly, the bottom of my shoe showed that it seems like Elmer's glue was used to put on the glue onto what I believe is some sort of curtain material for the rest of my shoes. And the reason I see the source and I know all of this is not because of what the label says. It's not because the person who was selling to them to me said, these are 100% Adidas. It's a great deal. You'll never get a deal better than this anywhere else. The reason I know these are not genuine Adidas is because they're falling apart. It's because the, the way that it was made was not made well. It is showing itself in evidence. The evidence is undeniable that these are not Adidas shoes. Because the source was not a factory from Adidas. The source was some Turkish tailor in a dark room somewhere throwing together thousands of these shoes at about 12 cents to him to sell them to me for 10 bucks. And it's very clear that that's where the source is. And this is how we look at James chapter 3, that when we think about the source of our wisdom, it will undeniably show itself in our lives. There will be a point where the revelation will come that it will convict you to say, oh, I'm trusting in something other than heavenly wisdom. And it just showed itself in how I responded. It just showed itself in how I acted towards another person. So number one, we look at the source of our wisdom. Secondly, we look at the evidence of our wisdom. Because the source provides that. There's a, there's a very clear connection. Heavenly wisdom shows very clearly in certain kinds of evidence— Earthly wisdom shows itself very clearly in certain kinds of evidence. Let's look first at earthly wisdom. Look at, look at me um, with, with me at verse 14. James says this. He says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. And the next verse goes on to say, This is the wisdom that does not come from above. The wisdom that does not come from above shows itself in bitter jealousy 
and selfish ambition and boasting in untruth. This is the evidence that it shows. Ultimately, wisdom that comes from the earth is driven by self. I drive it. It's about me. It's about my reputation. It's about me being right. It's about me making the other person look foolish. It's about my position. It's about their response to me. It's about their praise for me. It is driven by selfishness. It is driven by pride. It boasts in its pride. It brags about its wisdom. It brags about the knowledge that it has. It brags about how much experience it has and how many times they're able to, to, to quote certain things. It is about self and drawing attention to self. It's even about boasting in the lie. It's whatever I need to do, whatever I need to communicate to you to make you feel good about me and to praise me, even if it's an untruth, even if I'm lying about it, if it allows you to call me wise, even if I'm lying, I will be willing to lie about it so that you can see me as a wise person. This is the wisdom that comes from the earth that is directed by itself, about me, about my reputation. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 3. It says, For you are all still of the flesh. This is the Apostle Paul kind of communicating to the church here in Corinth about the way that they were fighting with each other. He says, For you are all still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? When jealousy and strife and envy and falsehood are evidence of our lives, James and Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 3 are connecting those things with earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. This is the evidence of wisdom. This is how it shows itself. Now, you have to be completely honest with us. We've all struggled with this. Every single one of us, in some way or another, have struggled in this area. Every single one of us has been jealous of others. Every single one of us has looked at others and their circumstances and their life and their praise and their reputation and said, I want that. Why don't I have that? I, owe, I am owed that. I deserve that. That person should not have it. We're all driven by that selfish ambition in our heart. I want this in my job. I want this in my family. I want this in my bank account. And I will do whatever it takes to be able to get that, even if it means being untrue. We're all driven by that at some sort, at some place. And James is bringing that to light to say that ultimately is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. It will not bring you where you need to go. It will not produce for you what you want to produce. It is ultimately demonstrating that your faith is in yourself and not in God. And this is James' main point with the book of James, isn't it? To drive people to say, my faith is totally, 100% trusting in God, and here's how I'm showing that self. And when there is bitter jealousy, and there is ambition, when there is lying, it shows I'm ultimately trusting in myself. And what matters most is my reputation, not God's reputation. And this is the evidence of false earthly wisdom. Proverbs 14 and verse 30 says, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Some versions say, but envy is a cancer. That it continues to eat its way through your soul until it destroys every part of you. This is not godly. This is not heavenly. This is not from above. This is not spiritual. This is demonic. Demon, Satan wants to destroy. This is the evidence of that kind of wisdom. And so my question before we jump into the other is as you look at your life, 
again, as we talked about last week, is always look in the mirror first. As we look in the mirror and we look at the evidence of our lives, is there bitter jealousy evident in our lives? Is there selfish ambition evident in our lives? Is there a propensity or a temptation towards telling lies in our lives? James would say, bring it to light, ask forgiveness, and receive forgiveness and be changed. But we cannot let it go. We cannot put it to the side. We cannot brush it under the rug. We cannot say, well, it's just a thing. It's just a bad habit of mine. It's just this little thing that I struggle with. Go again, going back to James. It is not just this thing we struggle with. Ultimately, it is demonic. You are being used by Satan to destroy yourself and destroy others. And this is the evidence of trusting in earthly wisdom. And it's a dangerous thing. And James wants us to take it seriously. And I want it to, us to take it seriously that jealousy and selfish ambition and not telling the truth are, are unspiritual earthly things that lead to destruction. And that those things need to be destroyed. And the only thing that can destroy selfish ambition and lying and bitter jealousy is the cross. The cross is the only thing powerful enough to do that. We trust in Jesus and in his death and in his resurrection, those things can be destroyed and our source can shift. James also tells us that those who are trusting in the wisdom from above shows itself in certain evidence in our lives. Verse 17 says, James says here, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. I don't like this list. I don't like it one bit. Because everything that he says is just one kind of sucker punch after another. Just takes the wind out of me one after another after another. Because I look at my life at times, not all the time. I'm growing in lots of areas. But in many times in my life when I say, have I been pure and peaceable and gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, I can think of like a five-minute span in my life where I broke every single one of those. In one simple conversation that I, I, w- I was disobedient in every single one of those. But James is saying here, But those who are trusting in God, those who are placing their faith in the Lord, ultimately will show itself in this fruit. I don't think James means perfection here. I don't think James means that we reach this point of all these things are perfect all of the time, but we're growing in these areas. That these areas, this evidence is becoming more and more evident the more we grow in Jesus. The more we have faith in him, the more we trust in him, the more I will show these things, and the less I will show the other things. What does he say here? He says, first the wisdom from above is first pure. It's first pure. That our intentions, that our motivations are devoid of self. This, I think, is a great definition of pure, is that there's very little, if any, me in it. But the wisdom that comes from above is a wisdom that comes solely from God. It is pure. There's nothing in it that's tarnishing it. There's nothing in it that's distracting or destroying in it. There's no corrosive agents in it. It is pure because it comes from God. He goes on to say that wisdom from above is peaceable. 
In other words, wisdom from above looks to make peace wherever it can. I think we're living in a world right now where this trait is not evident in many of our lives. I think many of us are struggling, myself included, with we long to be right. We want to be the first. We want to be the loudest. We want to be the rightest. We want to be the one that just destroys those who think differently than us. We want people in a conversation with us who think differently than us to walk away with their tails between their legs, feeling shame and guilt for ever thinking anything differently than they ever did. What does James tell us, though? Peaceable. What does James desire? What is evidence of one who is receiving wisdom from God? Is that they're seeking and they're making peace wherever they go. It doesn't mean we ignore what is true. It doesn't mean we back away from what God has told us. It doesn't mean that we bow down to those things that are untrue. But it does mean that our desire, our goal in every single conversation and interaction is peace. The peace that comes from God and the peace among brothers and sisters. This is what James is telling us. You see, earthly wisdom longs to be right. Earthly wisdom longs to destroy. Earthly wisdom wants you to feel bad for being dumb in the way that you're thinking. Earthly wisdom wants you to walk away thinking to yourself, I was the wrongest I could ever be. Godly wisdom says we can talk with people, disagree with people, and walk away at peace with one another. And that that honors God. That shows that it's from him. Again, I'm not saying back away. I'm not saying be quiet. I'm saying stand in and speak for truth and speak for those who can't speak and shout about who God is and what he is true about, but do so with the desire to be at peace with your neighbor, to demonstrate love and kindness to them, not to destroy them. You see in Romans chapter 12 and verse 18, Paul says this, if possible, So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with those who agree with you. Not one person doesn't say that. Come on, everybody. Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with who? All. All. There are no exceptions in all. It is all. And so as it depends on us, And James would agree with us, as we trust in godly wisdom, it does depend on us. We live peaceably with all. Doesn't mean we agree with all. Doesn't mean we walk in step with all. Doesn't mean we affirm all. But we will live peaceably with all. Hebrews 12 and verse 14, the author of Hebrews says this, Strive for peace with everyone. Everyone. And I love that the author of Hebrews says that first word in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14. Strive. It's hard. (laughs) It is hard to live at peace with anyone, let alone everyone. But James is telling us, Paul is telling us, the author of Hebrews is telling us that those who have placed their faith in God are striving for this. They're longing for this. They're intentionally placing themselves to be at peace with others. This is godly wisdom. To say we may disagree strongly with one another, but we will be at peace with one another. You will de- I will demonstrate that by showing kindness to you. And it goes on to say that godly wisdom is gentle, open to reason, full of mercy. 
Wisdom that comes from God is gentle. We don't come in with our sledgehammers longing to destroy people. We need to come in in conversations with people with our surgical tools as careful and as deliberate and as intentional and as innovative as we possibly need to be to be gentle with people. To be gentle with those who disagree with us. To be gentle with those who are coming against us and persecuting us. To be gentle with them. For some of us this morning, gentle is not a word that would describe us. When I think about our responses on the internet, I, I don't often think gentle when I see our responses on the internet. We just fly that out, hit enter, and we're like, in your face, stick it to you. I hope this hits you in the hardest. And when we're thinking about those responses, we think about how we respond on the internet, we think about how we respond to our spouses and to our kids and the hardship where they're disagreeing with us, even when they're disobeying us, even when we're arguing with one another. Am I marked by a gentleness in that? I can still speak truth, hard truth, and be gentle in how I give that. I think for too many of us, that doesn't apply. We really need to struggle in our gentleness. And it goes on to say that we're open to reason. Again, when I think about Facebook and Twitter and those kind of places, I would not put Facebook a place to be open to reason as the tagline for that. It is not a place. These other places, these conversations that we have, we're not often open to reason. Open to reason basically means I'm willing to listen to you and I'm willing to learn from you. I don't know everything. This is godly wisdom. It's starting with the the foundation of I don't know everything. My opinions are opinions. I don't understand every issue. I don't understand every possible facet, every answer that could possibly come from this. I don't understand all of that. And so I will come humbly into this conversation with you, open to reason that I might be wrong in this and not you. I might be missing something in this and not you. And coming in with gentleness and open to reason means I'm willing to learn from you. I'm willing to admit that I was missing something and I'm sorry. And I want to learn, and I want to grow, and I want to change. This is what open to reason means. And full of mercy. And full of mercy because we understand that there is a wisdom that comes from earthly things that is leading towards destruction, and we need to demonstrate mercy to those who don't know better, who have not received hope yet, who don't know that there is a hope and a wisdom beyond themselves, who are being satisfied with earthly wisdom to demonstrate mercy to them. Why? James tells us earlier in the book when he talks about partiality, because we need mercy, because we don't have all of our stuff together. Because there's a time when we were blind, when we were trusting in earthly things, when we were being destroyed, when we were only cared about our belly and the things of this earth, we need to demonstrate mercy. Titus chapter 3. Verses 1 to 3, we see this kind of all laid out for us. And Titus 3 reminds us there, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. Already not a good start to how we're supposed to be doing. To be submissive to ruler and authorities. And here he goes on to say, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. And then Titus goes on in verse 3 and says, For we ourselves were once, and then listed one thing after another that we were once. 
And so the reason we show kindness and gentleness and we're open to reason to people and demonstrate mercy to them is because we're no different. We are desperately in need of mercy and grace. And godly wisdom demonstrates itself in the way that we treat others. That my goal is to be at peace with you, to show kindness to you, to listen to you, to show love to you, yes, to speak truth to you, but for you to walk away from this conversation knowing that God had been in this, that he was revealing himself through me, his character through me. He also goes on to say that godly wisdom is full of good fruit. It shows itself in our lives. It shows itself in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. All of those things that Paul lists for us in Galatians, that godly wisdom is demonstrating itself in the way that we respond, the way that we think about those things. Paul tells us in Colossians 1. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why does Paul pray that it would be filled with spiritual wisdom? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. Paul is praying, I want you to grow in godly wisdom so that you will bear more fruit. So that you will demonstrate kindness and love more clearly. So you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Paul does not say, James does not say, nowhere do we see, we want you to grow in wisdom so you will be smarter. So you can answer more questions. So you can answer all the questions. So you can be the one that people turn to when they need right answers. We grow in wisdom to demonstrate God's character to the world. So they know it's not from us, but it's from him. Finally, he says that it grows that those wisdom that comes from above is wisdom that is impartial. That is impartial, that you're stepping into a conversation without judging, without condemning, without already saying to yourself, I am far smarter than this person. I am more read. I am more intelligent. I am more experienced. All of those things that you're walking into that saying, I'm going to destroy them. They have everything to learn from me and I have nothing to learn from them. We've already learned this in James 2 about the sin of impartiality or sin of partiality. It says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? The wisdom that comes from God shows no partiality. It shows that we're all on an even playing field. We're all in need of mercy. We're all in need of grace. We're all in need of the knowledge that comes from God. And it all comes by grace. The reason that we know things, the reason we can have character that looks like this and treat each other this way is not because of me, but it's because of grace in our lives. And this is how we demonstrate where our source is from. So again, I ask us to look in the mirror. Is my life marked by this? Is my life marked by being open to reason, being gentle, being impartial? Am I a person who is full of mercy? Am I demonstrating the fruits of the Spirit in my life? If those things are true, then you're receiving wisdom from the Lord. If those things are not true, what does James tell us to do? If any of you lack wisdom, look to the Lord. And so if you're lacking in these areas, where do we go? Not to the earth, not ultimately to those people around us. We go to God and we say, God, I need mercy. Show me mercy so I can show others. Help me to be open to reason. Help me to be able to be impartial in the things that I say. God helps us. 
And finally, number three, James tells us the result of this kind of wisdom. First, he tells us the result of the wisdom that comes from the earth, that is unspiritual and demonic. In verse 16, he tells us, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist— He clarified with us that is wisdom that is not from above, if it's showing itself in that. He goes on to say in verse 16, there will be disorder in every vile practice. The end result of earthly wisdom is disorder and vile practice. In other words, nothing is under control and everything is permissible. If I could describe the world that we live in in many ways right now, It would be a world that is in disorder in every vile practice where nothing is under control and it feels like everything is permissible. And the reason that that is the result, the reason that we're seeing that, because the source of earth's wisdom is itself. Looking in ourselves, what do we want? What do we feel? What fits best for this time? What makes the most people feel comfortable? What makes the most people feel at home? What, what relieves the most pain from us? This is this. And, but she tells us very clear, clearly here that it will lead to disorder in every vile practice. James tells us in verse, or chapter 1, he says, Know this, my beloved brothers, that every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. He goes on in verse 20, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Earthly wisdom, unspiritual wisdom, will never produce godly righteousness. It will always ultimately produce disorder in every vile practice. The result of earthly wisdom ultimately is destruction. And this is why James is so clear about it. This is why he uses words like earthly and unspiritual and demonic, because at the end of that, it is destruction. And James is warning, there is a way out. There is a way to not continue down this path. There is a way to get off of this highway and to trust in God and to trust in other things that does not lead to destruction, but leads to life. If you see the promised end of of godly wisdom— he tells us in this passage of Scripture that the, God, the godly end of this, of this wisdom in, uh, here, the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace, in verse 18, by those who make peace. What is the end of those who trust in God? A harvest of righteousness. How does that harvest of righteousness accomplished? By sowing in peace. Being a person of peace, sowing in peace, and the result is a harvest of righteousness. Here's the encouragement that I want to give to us this morning. We're living in a world right now that will condemn you for believing differently. We'll try to destroy you and confuse you and set you alone and persecute you and will say you are a fool for believing what you believe. You are backward. You are arrogant. You are misogynistic. You are homophobic. Whatever the language is, they will use this to say set this aside. You're a fool for believing what you believe. James tells us If we trust in godly wisdom, there will be a harvest. It may not be now. You may never see it in this life. You may not see any one person come and say, because of your mercy and because of your grace that you've shown me, because you've been open to reason, I've rethought the things that I think. I want to follow the things. No one may ever do that in your lifetime. But God promises us a harvest of righteousness. He promises us in Hebrews chapter 12 that though it's hard for a time, 
Though it's difficult for a time to walk through these things, it's painful and never pleasant to have discipline, but later it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. In closing this morning, I want to go back to the very first question that James asks us in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Let me be very clear again. Godly wisdom has zero to do with your intelligence ability. Zero to do with the degrees that you have earned, the letters that are after your name. Zero to do with the job that you have and the influence that you have. James doesn't give us one hint of any of those things. He even shows us it's not even about you knowing the right answers theologically. Godly wisdom is not about knowing the right answers. James tells us earlier on, who knows the right answers? The demons know the right answers, and they shudder. What James is telling us about godly wisdom is in your conduct and the way that we live. We think about those who have godly wisdom in our lives. Here's here's a really good example of how we know someone has godly wisdom in their life. Are you drawn to that person? Do you know when you go to that person that you are safe there? They will speak kindly to you. They may say things you don't want to hear, but their goal is not to destroy you or to harm you. You are drawn to that person by their meekness and by their kindness and the mercy that they show. And again, they may have no earthly thing in their life that would show any kind of respect that the world would give to them. Maybe never graduated high school, never got beyond a a, a minimum wage job in their life. But you know there's a person who has walked with God, has heard from the Lord, is being changed from the inside out that is drawing you to them. And James is saying, for those who are followers of God, this is the goal for all of us. And it's not an unreachable goal. When we read passages of Scripture like James chapter 3, my initial response is, yeah, right, good one, James. It's nice for you. It's nice for others to think that. It was nice for Jesus. But if you're asking me to be gentle and open to reason and impartial and to show mercy, I'm going to fail most of the time. This is where the good news of Jesus comes in is that he encourages us and he reveals these things to us so that we can feel conviction of sin and confess that sin and say, forgive me of that, and we can have confidence that he does and that he's changing us. The reason that I know I can be changed from this is because Jesus is in me and I am in him. Because he is changing me. Jesus is not merely the example of these things, though he is. If I were to give an example of godly wisdom, I would list Jesus and say, Jesus had godly wisdom because he was kind, merciful, he was meek, he was open to reason, he was full of fruit, he was doing all of those things. But at the end of the day, I need more than an example. We all need more than a mere example. What I need is power. What I need is ultimate change. What I need is a new heart. What I need is Jesus to live in me and I in him. And so that I can say, whenever I show mercy, it is Jesus showing mercy through me. Whenever someone disagrees with me and I am open to reason and I learn and I adjust, that is because of Jesus in me. Whenever I show someone, I come and I meet someone for the very first time, and I, I, I come, they come at, a, at an even playing field, and I show them kindness and joy just based on the fact that they're made in the image of God. That is Jesus in me. He is accomplishing that. 
So what do we need at the end of the day is not more facts. It's not more knowledge. It's more Jesus. We need more Jesus in our life. We need him to speak and to change through us. And we go into the world and proclaim to the world, I am Jesus, he is mine, and you can show the evidence of that through our lives. As we go today, let us be people who demonstrate with our lives that our trust and our faith is from above and not from below. Let's pray. Father God, I come to you this morning, Lord, in thankfulness for this time. God, in thankfulness for James and for this word that he has given to us, Lord, for this encouragement and a challenge for us to to seek to reflect your character, God. To be a person who can walk through and and understand the world around them and, and speak wisely into it because of the way that you have changed our hearts. Lord, help us to be a people who submit to you, who look to you, who strive for peace, who put to death things of this world, and trust that at our ultimate end will be a harvest of righteousness. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.